Welcome to the Stuttgart Missional Community Church Sermon Podcast. SMCC is a multicultural church serving the English-speaking community in Stuttgart, Germany. For more information or to contact us, visit us on the web at smcchurch.net. That's smcchurch.net. So we've been going through... Um, first Samuel and kind of looking at, um, it, like we looked at Israel last week, been looking at Samuel, looked at how he came about, became a prophet. Um, but today's message is titled, How the Mighty Have Fallen. And we are going to dive into learning how God is our true king and what that looks like. What does that look like when God is actually first and foremost, our first priority in our lives? Um, and we're going to look at what happens when you don't live that way um, and, and how you can live a life where you elevate yourself above God's authority, where you become the authority in your own life and just uh, the tragic consequences that comes with that. Um, and I, it's something that we all think we do a lot of times. I feel like that, yeah, God's my one true king, but through your actions and your obedience, that really shows if God is Lord of your life. Um, so we're going to be focusing on a few highlights in Israel um, and their very first human king. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 8, starting at verse 4. I'll give you a second to turn there for those that don't use the Sky Bible. When you're there, say amen, please. There, y'all are fast. Right on. Okay, verse 4. It says, Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Encouraging. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. Verse 6. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. Verse 8, according to all the deeds that they have done from the day I brought them out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice, only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. We're going to jump to verse 19. But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, no, but there shall be a king over us, that we also may be like all the nations, and that our king may judge us and go up before us and fight our battles. And here we see that Israel rejects God as their king initially. So we meet Israel in kind of like a deja vu moment. They had been here before. Last time when Eli was judged, before Samuel came on the scene, Eli had two sons, right? They were supposed to become judges, but they were wicked guys. They're wicked guys. And so the Israel saw when these guys became in charge and they brought the ark into battle when they weren't supposed to, they lost the ark. They lost God's favor. They thought they lost God's presence. So they find themselves in a deja movement where, oh, this could happen again. Because Samuel, yeah, you're a good judge. You're a good prophet. But your sons are not. And we kind of don't want to put our future in their hands. So the fact that they wanted a king was not necessarily bad, but their heart behind it was. God's people were told that they were to be special. They were special. They were unique. They were set apart. They were God's treasure. But they just wanted to be like everybody else. 
They just wanted to look like how the culture looked. They wanted to look like the nations that they had seen. They all have a king. Why can't we have a king? Why do we got to be different? Why do I have to be different? And so they were supposed to be his spokesmen. But if you've been following Israel from the time, and God even said it from the time of Egypt, they're constantly turning their back on God constantly. God is saving him. God is delivering them. And they're just worshiping other gods. They're worshiping other idols. And so if they put the same effort into worshiping these idols as they actually did in worshiping God, I think they would have been fine. They would have had a good relationship with God all the time and not had to constantly been bailed out by him. But they were risking, they were willing to risk their role as God's special people to conform to everyone else around them. It didn't matter what God done in the past. They wanted to revoke this special honor that God had given them. We do this a lot as Christians when we want to fit in to the culture around us. And it's not always bad to to engage the culture in that way, but it is bad when you sin while you're doing it. When you're deliberately disobeying God and you're sinning against him to be able to be like everyone else. And kids and teenagers, it starts young with a peer pressure, right? Even as adults in your job, being in a cool group or being with the cool whatever it is, they do certain things, and you know it's wrong. You know it's wrong to, to dog on somebody else or, or be upset or, or get drunk with them or whatever else. But to be able to fit in, you do it because you don't want to be that oddball. A lot of us have a hard time standing out. We just want to blend into the crowd. Any introverts that really just love to blend it, you barely even raise your hand because you're such an introvert. <laughs> like, nope, not going to do it. But that's the reality. A lot of us, we just want to blend in. But when you fit in and compromise in that way where you're actually sinning, it's a lack of respect to Jesus because he's called us to stand out. We are the light of the world. We are supposed to be the odd man out. We are supposed to be the one that does the right thing and obeys God and trusts him even when we don't fit in to look like everyone around us. We can't always live like the world wants. We can't do what the world does. We have to act differently. We have to be different. And look at it from an unbeliever's perspective, okay? If you say that Jesus has transformed your life and he is the Lord of your life, But in the same situations, you talk just like that person that doesn't follow Jesus. You act just like them. You live just like them. There's no difference. Why would they believe that Jesus can transform them? If they actually, at the end of the day, they have that feeling that I'm not living right, and you claim you know Jesus, but they're like, you know what? They say that, but they don't live like it. They don't act like, they don't act any different than me. What is Jesus going to do for me? If we're supposed to be the light of the world, this is something that that bugged me initially before I even became a Christian when I was raised in church. And this is not something, don't put your faith in people because they're always going to fail you. But I did in this moment, and I looked at the people around me that claimed they knew Jesus, but they didn't live it. And they were still living sinful lives, doing crazy things. I'm like, what what is Jesus going to do for me? He's not going to do anything. So as a Christian, it's important that we live up to God's standards because we represent him to everyone else around us. And that's what Israel was supposed to do, was represent God to the culture around them to show them there is a better way. There is a better way. You can live better. You don't have to live like this. But they wanted to revoke that. You were saved and set free for a purpose. Abide in Jesus and let him reveal that purpose to you. 
We all have our roles in the body of Christ. I can't tell you what you're supposed to do for God, but he can, and it's trusting him. And we find Samuel, his purpose was at the time to be a prophet and a judge for Israel. And this guy was a really good prophet. He was a really good guy. He went on circuit tours, the Bible explains, where he goes to the major cities, and he, he meets the people where they're at and, and mediates problems and fixes problems. Like, he was a great, great judge, okay? But when Israel presented this request, Samuel was upset. I'd even say he was offended by the request. I mean, he wasn't dead yet. He's still doing his job very well, I might say. The people even said he's doing a good job. But it seemed like his best was not good enough. They wanted a king. They wanted more. Okay? They even, to the fact of they said, you know what? Your kids don't really live that way anyways. So put yourself in his shoes for a second. You're doing the best job you can possibly do as a judge, right? And the people you've been serving for years since you were a kid that you give it all to, you go and meet them, you don't make Israel come to you. You go out to their cities. You go help their problems. You go, you go fix their problems. You intercede on their behalf to God. And they say, you know what? That's just not good enough. We really want a king, man. And guess what? You kind of stunk as a father, too, because your kids don't live up to God's standard. Like you make us tell, you tell us all to live by, they're not doing it. So in his shoes, it's like, okay, my best isn't good enough, and you're, you're attacking me personally. <laughs> I was a bad dad, so now you're going to hold that against me, too? And what do you do when it feels like your best isn't good enough? How do you deal with that? When you're giving it all, you're going all in. Maybe even as a parent, you're going all in. You're, you bring your kids to church. You bring them to youth, whatever it is, and it still seems like they're far from God. They're completely living crazy. Or at your work, you're doing the best you can. It still seems like you're going nowhere fast. How do you deal with that? And how do you deal with that rejection? When it's actually voiced, like, you know what? We do need someone better, you know? Your kids say, I hate you. You're a terrible parent. Or at work, they're like, you know what? We're going to promote so-and-so over you. And you're like, I'm working the best that I can. How do you deal with that? How do you deal with your best is not good enough? How do you deal with that rejection, that personal rejection that you feel? How do you deal with it? Well, we can learn something from Samuel. Because instead of blowing up on Israel, right, and start pointing out their flaws, because he could do it. This guy knew all their problems. He knew their lives personally. He knew what was going on. And instead of like, oh, really, I'm a bad dad, but you're a good one? Really? Oh, yeah, you need me every time, but okay, I'm the bad one. Sure thing. I know what you did. I know that you cheated on your wife. I know this and that. Whatever it was, right? He could have easily blown up and got personal in their face. And though we like to do that sometimes, is anyone, is that your first initial reaction when you're getting rejected or whatever? Like, you know what? Let me tell you something. Learn something like the movies, take off the earrings, you know, the girls that do that. <laughs> but anyway, so we can do that and we can blow up, but we, or we can learn from Samuel and we can go to God in prayer. And that's what he did. Personally rejected, personally maybe felt like a failure even. And instead of blowing up and, and, and fighting back, he went to God like, God, what, what do I do? This is what I'm dealing with. And when you go to God in prayer, he puts it into perspective for you. He lets you know what's really going on. And so he tells Samuel, he's like, you know what? You may think you're getting personally rejected, but they're really rejecting me. You are my representative, and they don't want to hear from me. They want something else. They want a king. God revealed what was really going on to him. And so Israel put their hopes in a man, 
this man that they wanted, this king that was going to fight their battles for him and do all this, basically stand in for God. And so God picks someone, but he does not live up to those expectations. God reveals in his word in 1 Samuel chapter 13, 6 through 9, how he failed to live up to these expectations. 1 Samuel chapter 13, starting at verse 6. When the men of Israel saw that they were in trouble, for the people were hard-pressed, the people hid themselves in caves and in holes and in rocks and in tombs and in cisterns. Sounds like a tornado was coming through or something. And some Hebrews crossed the fords of the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. Saul was still at Gilgal, and all the people followed him trembling. Verse 8. He waited seven days, the time appointed by Saul. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattering from him. So Saul said, bring the burnt offering here to me and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. Jump to verse 13. And Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God with which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. Verse 14, but now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be a prince over his people. Because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. And Saul's actions revealed the true nature of his heart. The king had failed to trust God. He failed to trust God completely. So we skipped a lot of chapters, right? So let's get a little backstory, okay? Why was Saul chosen? Well, the people, Israel, had asked for a king. They wanted a king, right? Though it wasn't necessarily bad, God knew what was going to happen. God knew the request was coming. He knew that his people were going to seek a king. But his intentions were to bring the ultimate king, who is Jesus, our Lord, our Savior. That was God's always intentions from the get-go, to bring us the true king. But the people were impatient. They needed a king now. They needed a leader in this moment. They didn't want to wait. So God gave his people what they wanted to show them what they needed instead. He gave them Saul to show Israel what they actually needed. Because God looks at the heart, and people often look at the outward appearances. They look at, you look legit, you look legit, sure. And that's not the case with Saul. But Saul didn't start out as a terrible king or a terrible leader. I mean, he started out being a humble, humble guy. I mean, when Samuel confronts him, like, the Lord has commanded you to be king, he's like, who am I? Like, I'm from a tiny clan, like, I'm nobody. And even when they, they, they pronounce him king in front of all Israel, he's not there on the front row like, yeah, I'm about to be king, what's up? Instead, he's hiding in the baggage. He's in the back of the back. He's not even with Israel. And so when they're like, Where, <laughs> where's this king? Is he a fake? Is he a phony? And so God's like, he's, he's hiding. He's, he's scared. And so when Saul comes out, he's, he's a big dude. He's taller than everybody. The Bible says he's a good-looking guy. He's a strong guy. And everyone's like, okay, okay, this is our king. I can deal with that. So he looked the part. He looked the part. And even when the Spirit of God came upon him, he prophesied. So he had the gift of prophecy. God's Spirit was resting in him. I mean, he had great, great beginnings. He had great, great beginnings. But God selected Saul to teach Israel that outward appearance and good beginnings are not enough to continue following God. 
you can't rely on those specific dramatic experiences that happened and let that just coast you your whole life being obedient to God. It's got to be a daily thing. That's cool in the past. That's cool when God used you. That's cool how God saved you. That's cool how God set you free. But that's not enough to follow God for your entire life. You cannot base your faith on just those big moments, those high top moments like, oh, that was awesome. It's, it's in the daily grind. It's in the getting up. It's serving God. It's obeying God. It's trusting him even when it is hard. Amen? So you cannot choose to follow God whenever you want. And you definitely can't get into this mindset that Saul found himself in where when God starts blessing you and starts giving you victories, that you think it's you doing it. You think, well, yeah, I'm, I'm the one. I'm the leader. I'm the one causing these victories. This isn't God doing it. This is me. And that's the trap that Saul found himself in. And pride was creeping at the door. His humble beginnings started to change, and he started to think that he was somebody. He was somebody. So the context of this is that Saul had a son named Jonathan, okay? And Jonathan went out, took some troops, and destroyed a Philistine garrison, right? It was their enemies. He went and destroyed them, okay? So what does Saul do? Does he go and like, thank you, God, for destroying our enemies. That was amazing. We give glory to you. I love you. No, he does not. Instead, he tells them to sound the horns to all Israel and let them know, hey, Saul's defeated the enemies. He wasn't even there. He wasn't even there. He was taking credit for something that God had done through his son, but yet in his mind, this is me. I did this. I did this. He started getting to that weird, prideful thing. Instead of giving God the praise, he wanted to be praised. He wanted to be lifted up. And it's a crazy trap that we can find ourselves into as Christians when we, we, you see where you're at now, you see what God's brought you from, and you forget that you are a servant. You forget that you are supposed to be out serving people, especially when they don't deserve it. Showing mercy when people don't deserve it. Loving people when they don't deserve it. And you can get to this place where you start thinking, man, I'm, I'm pretty good. I'm a pretty good Christian. I'm not doing this. I'm not sinning like I used to. But you can easily look at those people that are and start judging them specifically and stop forgetting that God is working on them. You can start getting the feeling where you think you're better. Instead of loving people and helping them, you're like, man, you know what? I'm not like that. They're terrible people. Those guys are terrible Christians. He claims he loves Jesus. What? Nah. And you start falling into that trap. And when you forget that you're called to be a servant, you allow pride to come in and twist the gospel in your own heart. You stop forgetting your place and how God is bringing the victories, God is bringing the blessings, and it's nothing to do with you. And so Saul took his God-given position, and he wanted some praise. God didn't do this. Jonathan didn't even do it. Victory was mine. Victory was mine. That's where he found himself in. Until the Philistines came to fight, because they had heard what Saul had been telling his people and they're like, oh, yeah? Come at me, bruh. We're going to come up to your house. It's time to fight. And so that's what they do. And all Israel starts getting scared. They're tripping, tripping, okay? And so that's where we find Saul. While he needs the sacrifices because everyone's running for the hills. Everyone's hiding. They're running, like I said, like a tornado is coming through. They're just getting out of the way. They don't want to fight. They don't want to deal with the Philistines like this. Cool, you took out that garrison, but you hadn't took out all their people. They've been fighting for Philistine with a, for a long, long time. They've been fighting these guys. And so Saul finds himself in this moment where he needed troops. He needed troops. He needed people. They were leaving him. He had to do something. He had to manipulate the situation. 
He didn't immediately go to God like, oh, God, I messed up, and I was prideful. Help us in this area. Help us in this area. Because we can mess up as Christians. We can make the wrong mistake. We can do the wrong thing, say the wrong thing, but God's grace and mercy is new every morning. We can go to him and be like, God, I, I totally messed up. Please forgive me and help me through this situation. But Saul doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. Instead of waiting for Samuel to come and do what Samuel's supposed to do, he takes matters into his own hands. He manipulated the situation. And his heart wasn't in the sacrifice. It was just another religious experience for him. It was just another religious ritual. He wasn't actually sacrificing to God. His heart wasn't in it. He was just doing it so his people would stay. He needed people to fight this battle. And he was too impatient to wait and actually trust God. He feared losing people greater than he feared failing to trust God. That's a dangerous place to be in. When you start worrying about what everyone thinks and start fearing people of what God's telling you rather than just fearing God and himself. When you find yourself in that spot, it's very difficult, very difficult. And being still and waiting on God to deliver you can often be the greatest revealer on if you truly trust God. Do you trust God? When it seems like everyone's leaving you, when you're all alone, no one's there to bail you out, all your troops are leaving, you're by yourself, will you wait on God then? Will you trust him then? Sure, we can trust him when he's delivering us and he sets us free, and yep, God's on my side. But when it looks like God's left you, when it looks like people have left you, because Samuel didn't show up on time that he said he was going to, right? So in Saul's eyes, he's all alone. He's all alone. And instead of just waiting and trusting in God, trusting God that, that he would bring through the situation, that he would help bring victory, he took matters into his own hands. And the funny thing that happens is when he gets caught, he does not take the blame. He, he didn't say it was my fault. He didn't say it was his fault. He says, well, you know, the people needed a sacrifice, Samuel. And guess what? You were late too. You didn't show up on time. I had to do something. It's not my fault. It's not my fault. It's never your fault, right? When you mess up and you're disobedient to God, it's like, God, you, you kind of put me in a tricky situation. Not, is it really my fault? Lord, really? I mean, it's their fault. Or Lord, it's your fault. You were late. You were late in the situation, okay? I just want to let you know, Lord, all-knowing God, that you relate to my current situation. <laughs> and that's where Saul finds himself in. By talking to Samuel, that's what he's basically saying. God, you were late. I had to do something. If you weren't going to do it, I was going to do it. Because he thinks he's somebody now, right? And in that moment, he, he knew he messed up, but he didn't have the courage to own up to it. And poor leadership happens when you don't own up to your own mistakes. You have a team, you're the leader, something messes up. It's not my fault, it's my team's fault. Should have done better, should have worked harder. That's a failure on leadership. It is your responsibility. The people in your life that God has given you to witness to, to love, to disciple, it's on you. Take responsibility for it. If you mess up, own up to it. Own up to what you've messed up to. Because people mask their disobedience and personal failures by blaming others. Saul was insecure. He knew it. He knew it. He was insecure. But instead of dealing with that and asking God to help him and deliver in that area, he just blamed everyone else around him. It's everyone else's fault. So God clearly had revealed that there was someone else who would become king. There was someone else God was looking for. God was showing Saul the type of king that he needed, someone who would trust God and obey him, even when the situation seemed hopeless. 
And the king after Saul was King David, right? We know King David. We've heard of him. He comes up, and he's a great king at the time. Great, great dude. But he was just a mere foreshadow of our ultimate king, Jesus, who everything from birth to death, Jesus didn't do anything outside of God's will. He lived out perfectly how to obey God, how to trust God in every single situation, to only do what God tells him to do. And because we put our faith in him, we put our faith in the ultimate king who rose from the grave. He is now our high priest. We don't need another high priest. We don't need someone to intercede on our behalf. That's what Jesus does. He loves us enough that we can have direct access to God. That was the king that God was pointing his people to, but they couldn't wait. They couldn't wait. So he was trying to show them through Saul. And even though Saul failed to trust God, God still gave him another chance. Another chance. Aren't you glad that God gives you another chance? I'm glad. I mean, I don't know why you're not more excited about that, because I've messed up so many times, so many times. And God constantly gives me another chance. Be like, yeah, that was terrible what you did. Let's do this again. Let's go through this again. So that's what Saul does, or God, what God does to Saul. And we learned last Sunday that God desires all to reach repentance and follow him, right? God wants everyone to have a relationship with him. He wants everyone to come to him to repent, turn from their sins. So God's desire initially was never to reject Saul, not from the get-go. He didn't want to do this. He did not want to reject Saul. But he wanted Saul to actually have a better relationship and start trusting him. So he gave him another chance. God told Samuel to go to Saul, King Saul, and say, hey, you're going to need to go to the Amalekites, or Amalek, however you want to say it, and you are going to need to wipe them out, wipe their entire people group out, from old to young, even their animals, everything, wipe them all out. This is what God was calling him to do, okay? This was his second chance. But initially, does that sound kind of harsh in your ears? Does it? Yes? No? Kind of? Like, oh, who cares? <laughs> it, to me, it kind of did initially. Like, man, why would God wipe out a whole people group? Why would he wipe them out? And you hear from a lot of people that don't believe in God that they're constantly saying that if God is so good, if he's so holy, why doesn't he eliminate evil? But then you see instances in God's word where he does, and people have a big problem with it. Isn't that funny? Isn't that weird? It's like a catch-22. Why won't you deliver us? Why won't you destroy just evil? And God's like, okay, I did, and you're upset. Like, what do you want me to do? What do you want? Same thing with the Canaanites. So he tells them to wipe out these Amalekites because they are a wicked people group. They had attacked Israel way back when they were going through Egypt. Okay? They've been there a long time. They never repented. They never turned toward God. They were constantly worshiping other idols. They did these pagan rituals and moral practices. So God told Saul, King Saul, to go and destroy them all. And God wanted to destroy them because he knew if any of these people are spared... My people are going to be influenced to look just like them. If anyone was to last, if anyone was going to be there, then Israel had that temptation to be just like them and to turn from God again, to reject God again like they had done in the past. And it brings up something that God often shuts down relationships from you for your ultimate protection. He knows if you become too close to somebody that's too sinful and you're not strong enough in your walk with God, don't obey God enough, that it is better for you not to be in a relationship with them, teenagers, not to be in a relationship with them if they're not obeying God. 
and they're living a sinful lifestyle. God will shut that down. And in that moment, it can seem harsh, like, God, why are you doing this? Like, I love them. I love them. That's how I was. Okay, so my first, I'm going to share this story just because I can, okay? In high school, I had my first real girlfriend. Well, not really, I guess. She was my first serious girlfriend at the time that I can remember, okay? And she was bad news in every way of the word, okay? And I had friends and family and telling, like, don't, don't, don't get with that girl. Do not date her. She's going to drag you down. I'm like, no, man. I love her, dude. I love her. She's, she's so great. She was not great, okay? I was in lust, not in love, okay? And so they were telling me that she was bad news, and I didn't want to hear it because it's, it's that phrase, you ever heard of puppy love? Yes? Y'all can talk back to me. It's okay. Y'all ain't got to be so quiet. I won't bite. I promise. And uh, so the term puppy love refers to that, that initial feeling you get, that intimacy that's, that you know and as an adult, a lot of times that does not last forever, okay? That's cute in the moment, and you look at your kids and they have that first go, oh, they're in love. Yeah, okay, whatever. It's not really going to go anywhere. You know that, but they don't know that. Puppy love is real to the puppy. <laughs> it is. It is. So in that, when you're dealing with kids that go through that and teenagers, remember that. In that moment, it is real. They think they're in love. They think they're in love. You need to help guide them what God is actually teaching them in that moment. Okay? You can't go through and just, like, just dismiss it. Your kid's in love. Yeah, sure, whatever. They're, they can still do a lot of bad stuff in that puppy love stage that's going to have consequences the rest of their life. It's your job and responsibility to disciple them help them through that, right? And don't just dismiss it like, oh, whatever. It is what it is. Because that's real. In that moment, it's real to them. For me, it was real. I felt like it was real. I was like, I'm going to be with this woman forever. I'm not going to marry her, though, because I was not going to marry anyone ever. That was not my thing. And I was like, ah, she's cool. We'll just date, live together forever. It'll be awesome. But long story short, she ended up cheating on me with her ex-boyfriend and like threw me to the curb and I felt so awesome for like a week or a month or whatever. And uh, the moral of that story, that I'm, uh, the reason I'm telling you that, is because God knows what is best for you and who is best for you. And that's where we find Israel in this moment. God knew what was best. He knew that this people group had to be taken out. He didn't want his people to be influenced by this bad relationship that could have happened. Amen? And so if you spend half the time you do questioning God on why he's doing something to you instead of just trusting him in the moment when it doesn't make sense, because I'm sure to Saul, it's like, why? Like, why, why would you do that? There are even that moments with the girlfriends and people are telling you, don't, don't do it, or boyfriends, don't do it, don't date that guy. And you're like, but I want to. Just trust God in that moment. If he's sending you signs, trust God. And that's not just relationships that's, that are boyfriend-girlfriend relationships. That's relationships across the board. God will keep those people from you for a reason, and we just need to trust him. So God knew what was best for his people, and he coupled that with simultaneously giving Saul another chance to trust God. But instead, Saul did what he thought was best instead of what God had commanded. And because of his pride and his poor leadership and ultimately not being faithful to God, Saul forces his creator into a position where God had no choice but to reject him. God had no choice. He wasn't going to obey him. He didn't trust him. He didn't follow him. What do you expect God to do? What do you expect God to do? And watch how God responds to Saul's actions and lifestyles. 
Go to 1 Samuel with me, chapter 15. And this really shows God's heart in the situation when he, when, when he does reject one of his children. 1 Samuel, chapter 15, starting at verse 10. The word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And Samuel was angry, and he cried to the Lord all night. Verse 22. And Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams. Verse 23. For rebellion is as the sin of divination, and presumption is as iniquity in idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. The ultimate way Saul received rejection from God is because the king failed to obey God. That's why. He completely failed to obey God. And I'm always reminded of this story that always makes me laugh. So I'm sorry that I've given you a lot of personal stories today. But you're going to get it because I have the microphone. I'm just playing. So when Shay grew up in her household, she got in trouble a lot different than I got in trouble, right? I was whooped by my dad a couple times, very young, and then he would just give me a look, and I would, okay, like, sorry, until I was a teenager, of course, and I thought I could handle him, right? But in those moments, I was, I, I didn't want to mess up, I didn't want to get hit again, I didn't want to get, and he's not like he beat me, okay, so don't feel sorry for me, he just disciplined me, right? But Shay in her household, she grew up differently, because when her or her brother messed up, her mom would sit them down on the couch, pull out her Bible, and just preach, she would sit them down for hours and just preach, instill the word of God, instill the word of God. And this verse always came up, for rebellion is as the sin of divination. Like rebellion is just like witchcraft because they, they disobey her and everything. And my mother-in-law's name is Vicky. She's an awesome lady. And so she would always bring that up. When you rebel against me, you're sinning against the Lord. Sinning. And she was always letting them know that when you sin against God, you have that chance. You, you can possibly go to hell if you're not trusting and obeying God. And so Shay always jokes that, man, I think once a week my mom told me I was going to go to hell. <laughs> and it happened so often. She's constantly getting preached at. And she's like, oh. But it happened. And I appreciate that because Shay learned a lot of scripture during those times. <laughs> she learned a lot that she can repeat and bring up into a situation. Something happens. She's like, oh, you know what? You know what the Bible says about that? I do because my mom told me. A lot, a lot. <laughs> and so Vicky instilled in, in, in her kids deeply that any type of rebellion from God is complete and total sin. And I wish more people would do that with their kids. That when you rebel in any way, you're sinning against God directly. That's what rebellion, I mean, to put rebellion against God in the same category as the dark arts and witchcraft and, and, and calling up demonic spirits in the same category, you know it's serious. You know it's serious. Any type of rebellion against God, this is doing something where you know it's wrong, that is complete and total sin. And the reality is when we fail to obey God, we bring him serious sorrow. That's what God said. I regret that I did this. And not in the fact that God regretted like he didn't know it was going to happen. And man, I made a mistake. It's God knew what was going to happen. But to see it played out, man, he had sorrow. He is completely sad about it. 
He didn't want Saul to, to, I mean, this person that he had loved, the first person he had chosen to be their king, and he's just openly rebelling and disrespecting God and disobeying God completely. And he's like, he's broken by it. And Samuel's even broken by it because he cries all night long. When's the last time you cried all night long for somebody? That's something God checked me on this week as I'm praying. I'm like, man, I, I pray for a lot of people, and I'm, I'm saddened by situations, but it's been a long time since I've cried all night long for someone. That someone's situation, the circumstance that they're in, has completely broken me to that point. And that's where you find Samuel at, and, and God is too. And Saul looked at it as a response to, to Samuel, because Samuel comes to him, and after praying all night long and, and, and seeking God and crying before the Lord, he comes up to the camp and he, just, he hears the sheep. He sees the animals. The king of these people is still alive. And he knew it was going to happen, right? He knew it. But seeing it again was something different. Something different. Like when you know someone's going to mess up, someone's going to fail. But when they actually fail, you're like, oh, man, that really stinks. And so that's where Samuel's at. And he hears these guys, right? He hears these sheep. And how does Saul respond? He responds by saying, I obeyed the voice of the Lord. What? Are you serious? You obeyed? What are all these animals doing? Why is the king still alive? You did not devote them all to destruction. But somehow he thought in his head, maybe I am following God. Or maybe he's just making excuses again. Saul's response to Samuel reveals something that, that he viewed God's commands as just one of his choices. It's just one of his choices. I can partially obey God when it's convenient for me. Do you ever find yourself in that position where you obey God just when it's convenient instead of full-heartedly, all-in, all the time? And we can mess up. It can happen. But I think that happens a lot more in our lives than we like to say. And his response to Samuel was that the people saved the livestock to sacrifice them to God. It was a good thing he was doing. Samuel, calm down. Calm down. We did this for the Lord. I did this for God. So my people could sacrifice to God. And he's like, that's not what God wanted. He wanted you to be obedient the first time. To completely wipe him out. And he didn't want this good intentions thing that you have going on. Jesus dealt with this, simulation, or this situation kind of similarly in Matthew 15. And the, the, he's talking to the religious leaders, the Pharisees at the time. And they're always like trying to trap Jesus in something, right? Trying to say something to, to trap him. But Jesus is a mind ninja, okay? He just, man, you just can't get one up on Jesus. You can't, you can't beat our God. You just can't do it. Anything you say, he knows your heart. He knows what you're going to say. And, and you have this moment where he is telling them, you think you're doing the right thing and you're living this way with good intentions, but at the heart of it, you're completely disobeying God. And he uses the example of God tells you to honor your mother and father. But when your parents are coming to you and they need help, financial support, you say, oh, you know what? I do have the money to help you out. But I'm giving it to the Lord, so I can't help you. I have good intentions with what I could do. And Jesus answered it with, you hypocrite. Hypocrite. God does not want your good intentions. He wants your obedience. He wants you to be obedient to what he calls you to do. If he calls you to do something, do it. He doesn't want you to partially obey. And then it's for good reasons, Lord. It's for good reasons. And that's where Saul finds himself in. 
He tells Samuel, it was for good reasons. He partially obeyed. And Saul needed to know that his stubbornness and arrogance were sinful behavior. God was hard-headed. He was hard-headed. And it says presumption is his idolatry. And I didn't know what presumption meant, so I had to look it up, okay? Because I'm not a linguist and I'm not very smart sometimes. So I looked it up and it's just like disrespect, it's stubbornness, it's arrogance. And you see these Saul is, Saul is showing that he's living this way, right? Through all his actions, he is. He's stubborn against God. He's disrespecting God. And that is just the same thing as having another idol. Because you are elevating yourself into a position where God should be. And instead of following God and trusting him, you're doing what you think is best. And it's dangerous, it's dangerous for us Christians to, to think that or have those good intentions where you think you're doing the right thing, but your heart is so far from God. You go to church, you sing worship, you, you lead a ministry, whatever, but your heart is so far from God. So far from God. It's a dangerous place for us to be in. And so God does not want to reject anyone. And he wants us to all be in a relationship with him, but he won't force you to. He didn't force Samuel, you know what, I told you to obey me, now you're going to, which kind of sounds like my dad, and I just got a flashback to my dad when he was talking to me. You're going to do this. He didn't do it that way. Saul had a choice. Saul had a choice, and you have a choice. You have a choice to obey and trust God. You do. You can't force that on someone else. You can't even force that on your kids. You can discipline, you can love them, but you can't force Jesus down anyone else's throat. They have to make that choice. They have to make that choice. And through Saul's example, we recognize that he had rejected God long before God had rejected him. Through his actions, through his lifestyle, he gave up on God long before God said, I can't use you. I can't have you represent me. You don't, you don't live the way I've called you to live. You don't act the way I've called you to act. And so today, if you find yourself in a place where you are rejecting God, where you are in open rebellion against him, big things or small things, if you're not trusting God fully, you're not fully being obedient, and you know maybe the Holy Spirit's bringing that situation to you right now, revealing where you're messing up, where you're not following God, you still have a chance to ask for forgiveness and seek God with your whole heart. You have that choice today to do that. With zero excuses, you can follow and trust God. And if you look at, with, with, and as far as relationships too, with Samuel and Saul, they never mended their relationship. Saul never went back and mended things between him and Samuel. He could have, could have, because they didn't see each other again until Samuel died. And so you have that choice today as well to mend relationships between, like just broken relationships, whatever it is. If someone's hurt you, you've hurt them, you can seek for forgiveness, you can try to mend it. You can't always fix it, but you can at least do what God's called you to do and forgive people and love people. You have that choice today to follow God with your whole heart, to be obedient to him, and to fix things between you and other people, and to live out the gospel in front of him, to really look like you love God and obey God. Amen? And the following God and serving him is a day-by-day -day task. It is, you've got to realize that, it is day-by-day. -day. You've got to serve God. Every day is new. You've got to get up and be like, I'm going to obey God today. I'm going to trust God today. If you didn't yesterday, guess what? If you get tomorrow, you have that chance. But you are not promised tomorrow. You're not promised tomorrow. You're not promised to make it after you drive out of here. You're not. You have this moment. 
you have to the relationships you have today to fix and mend and let God control them. How will you use today? Thank you for listening to the SMCC Sermon Podcast. Be sure to visit us on the web at smcchurch.net. That's smcchurch.net.